Here we go. Hey everyone, how's it going? Welcome to the show. This is Dojo Talks, formerly known as Between Two Senseis. Uh, got all three of us here today, me, David, and Jesse. And uh, oh boy, I'm actually, I'm consciously now keeping in mind that this might be a podcast one day. So that might affect how I, how I talk. Uh, how are you guys doing? Good. Yeah. Excellent. Thank you for having me on the show. (laughs) (laughs) So funny. Uh, Well, we got uh, five topics here. Uh, We're going to go 10 minutes each. Let me uh, set the timer. And um, the first topic is just going to be the ultimate sensei uh, recap. I think I want to start with... um, let me start with David actually, because he's one of the one of the coaches, and I know David has been very excited uh, to talk about this show. So yeah, David, uh, what, were, what were your thoughts? Uh, it was awesome. It was exciting. I think a lot of our Dojo regulars who are probably here with us now were surprised and shocked yesterday to see like three thousand people watching the show, <laughs> because that's not really our normal audience. So that was great. Um, I haven't yet heard whether or not people who watched it liked it. So hopefully people did. I mean, hopefully like people who are watching it did like, you know, watch for like a while and enjoy it. I was excited. I thought it was, I thought it was interesting to watch for myself and to be part of. Um, so, you know, fingers crossed that everybody thought it was amazing and that I think it's a show which just gets more exciting every like episode as you get to know um, the players better. So however good it was, yesterday which may have been whatever just like a tournament i think it's going to get better and better and better with each week so i'm really hopeful uh and optimistic that it's going to be massive for for um for our community here wow um yeah i mean everything i heard uh was overwhelmingly positive there's a bunch of people on twitter uh even twitter uh, people on twitter that like i haven't interacted with but but i know like tweeted about the show uh saying that like oh it looks really exciting um so that was that was really cool to see and yeah it seemed like people were um really happy in in the chat as well i'm just looking up the uh the stats for the show uh it was yeah definitely one of our our biggest shows um oh it's not telling me the average well it, it includes like a small show that i was doing before it sort of glued all the streams together but I can tell you that the max viewership was 3,500 and the average was over 2,000. Wow. It was like huge, huge, huge for us. Yeah, the average, but I'm wondering how long the people watch for. To me, that's a really important. Oh, the average metric. length that individual viewers were watching. Yeah, that would be a good thing. Because for know. a lot of our streams, it'll be like over an hour, which I think is great, actually. It means like people are just like watching like the, uh, for, for quite a while. Uh, Jesse, how, how did you feel about it? Well, first of all, I didn't realize that it was over 3,000 people. I assume that was because we had different streams of the show going at the same time. Um, so I, I would have been far less free and able to tell my terrible jokes if I had known that there were 3,000 people watching that show. <laughs> I'll never <laughs> let you know how many people are watching. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I enjoyed it. And I think, um, you know, you guys are the ones behind the vision of this thing. And I've always been a little bit you know you guys are pulling me along on this project and to me the thing that's most exciting and interesting is like 
the hype behind the individual players and you know for me as a fan to get behind it it's like can i believe in one of these people making progress and we'll talk about in the next one you know what does it take for people to make progress but also like can you identify who is going to be able to make progress you know can you like see is it something you see in their eyes or you see in their moves or something like that so that was cool about the draft i really enjoyed that me and david have talked about identifying talent in kids that's a debate we've had going back more than a decade you know how how can you identify talent in kids and is it even possible you know so that's something we've been talking about a long time uh, so to me that's the heart of the show is that yeah. talent and then now the question Right. The first part of the show, of course, yesterday was identifying that talent. And now I'm really at what we'll come to in the next question. But the next part of the whole show is like, can that talent be developed? Yeah. Yeah. I think that sometimes it may be easier to uh, find weaknesses than talent. Right. Like it can be tricky to try to identify talent. I mean, I, I think I saw it in a couple places yesterday, like um, at some point, this guy, Michael Ponziani master, at some point he used the initiative, not for a king side attack, right? Like he used the initiative for sort of like a, you know, a central play. Yeah, he had that game where um, he played like C5, D4. Yeah, exactly, very right, right. you notice it too, right? So to use the initiative strategically to try and like, you know, push your opponent and like gain, uh, I don't know, that's like a, a tricky thing that you'll not see a lot of people doing. So that'd be like one example of maybe spotting talent. But to me, it's much easier to spot like weaknesses and then ask yourself if those weaknesses are repairable or like teachable and how long it would take. Mm -hmm. Because like if these guys are all like 1900 and their ratings approximately don't lie, right? Then it's like, you know, I think Jesse February was like a good example of somebody with just such trash openings that it was like, <laughs> if you just like, told this person to like, you know, bring out their pieces to slightly more aggressive squares. Like they could, like her, the positions she had at move 10 were so bad. To me, seeing a, a weakness that massive and glaring and that's really putting a cramp on her results. Mm -hmm. I see that and I think like, this is somebody who you could improve dramatically quickly. Interesting, that's interesting you noticed that David. I honestly didn't make any like huge assessments because, uh, well, I, I'm not one of the coaches, so I didn't yeah. feel that. <laughs> feel that you pressure. didn't have to. Right, exactly. But yeah, it's interesting that you were really looking for very specific things, like who has good opening play or good like uh, good like action on the initiative. Um, I was quite surprised that Michael wasn't one of the... I think he was the fifth pick. I think he was Arthur's, yeah. uh, basically Arthur's second pick. He picked Frank first. Um, actually, another one of the reasons I wasn't sure about being a coach on this season was because I had a lot of insider info about these players and mm -hmm. I've seen them play and I kind of feel like that yeah. wouldn't be fair given that I, I know and have worked with some of them. Uh, yeah. Michael, yeah, I, I felt like is one of the, the strongest players in the group. Um, I trained him and Dylan on the stream a little while back. They played like a game and, uh, and the game was pretty tight, but it just felt like he uh, has a lot of ambition when he plays. He's like a very aggressive player and he's mm -hmm. willing to like take risk to prove his ideas which i feel like is a very uh is a quality that that shows that he's capable of, of improving quite a bit the fact that he's just willing to take risks and basically go big or go home yeah um the yeah. let's see the other thing i thought was 
quite interesting from uh, from yesterday. Um, I, yeah, I think uh, for future seasons, it would be great to expand the show and definitely get uh, make it a little bit longer. I think we were talking about eight weeks being an ideal length where you can actually get some uh, real improvement and definitely to get more uh, footage of, of the students. That's something I want to do for this season as well. Maybe do like mm. some interviews with the students, uh, how they're doing, get clips from like their lessons and, and put them together. Um, really just because I think it's going to be all about the students. Essentially, the fans are going to be like uh, relating to them quite a bit. Yeah, the students are definitely the, the stand ins for the viewers. So it's very important that we tell the story of the uh, of the the eight students will be playing in these events. Right. Yeah, I totally agree. I think it's all about the show to be interesting. I want to know, you know, who's behind the pictures. I want to know their ages. I want to know how they came up when they started playing chess, what kind of things they've done in chess. Are they part of this recent wave of people who've learned chess just on the internet or does it go further back than that? You know, mm-hmm. all those questions are for me as a fan. Yeah. Something I want to know. You want to know where Chess Gaines got his glasses? Well, it's funny with the Chess Gaines, man. I was so impressed with the guy's glasses because his glasses matched his play, which was kind of like uh, <laughs> going for the cheap shots, which I really appreciate in a 15-minute game. Um, and, you know, it's this hilarious thing that Nikitin talks about in Discovering Kasparov is that he claims he saw it in his eyes. Now, of course, I haven't even seen, I haven't even seen Chess Gaines' eyes. I've <laughs> yeah. just seen his glasses and they made this impression on me. Um, yeah. But, but right, like there are so many different ways to judge talent. And, you know, when Nikitin talks about looking in Kasparov's eyes, it sounds dumb at first, but we all have these moments when you meet somebody or a kid and then you're, you know, you, yeah. And maybe you did see something. Yeah, I um I saw Sam Sevian's eyes when he was like six or seven years old and like thirteen hundred, and it was pretty clear that he was gonna become Sam Sevian, like he uh-huh. was determined, like literally from from a child to to become a strong strong grandmaster. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, I think uh, I, I've seen a few other people who were extremely determined. I don't know if I automatically like when I see somebody who's determined think that they'll be. A strong GM and right. there are probably lots of people who I saw who seemed determined and I don't think of them now because they didn't make GM right but if I think of like some some people who I saw playing as kids Sam Shanklin Danya Naraditsky Hikaru Nakamura like they were pretty darn you know intense They're as little kids right? I feel like Danya had a real genius vibe going <laughs> oh yeah but actually, let's come. Actually, David, I'm surprised. Okay, let's talk about that for a moment. And we have to move to the next topic. And maybe, but it will relate to the next topic. It's like when I played Danya, when he was like 11 or 12, I was like, oh, yeah, this kid's got it. And then Shanklin, dude, when he was 18, I mean, I'd be impressed. If you told me in hindsight that you thought he was going to be where he is when we were at the GM house, I think I would call BS on that. But if you want to call, if you want to say it, I'll be interested to hear it. You must mean earlier than 18, because at 18, he was the world under 18 co-champion with Kwong Liam and Ivan Saric. When, when he was at the house, he was like, what, just 17? Or he was already 18. It feels like he was, yeah. yeah, it was right around there. Sam was good. Okay, let's move on to the next one, though, and we'll probably end up talking about similar topics. 
Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right, guys. So next topic. Oops. Oh my god. All right. <laughs> uh, how much can you improve in six weeks? Who wants to go first? <laughs> I feel like we're going to end up recapping or like rebooting the debate we had about improvement a couple weeks ago that got, got kind of a little testy, especially on Twitter. It turned into this testy thing. Uh, I'm going to say that in six weeks, if you've already hit your plateau, which not all of these people have in our Ultimate Sensei show, if you've already hit your plateau, you can maximum go up only 50 points maximum uh if you haven't hit your plateau then anything's possible <laughs> yeah wait uh, what? You know. you're the guy yeah. that thinks that everything is predetermined <laughs> yeah, I don't, I, saying I, if somebody's not yet at their plateau like if you get like a 1200 who's been playing right. for three months there's no reason he couldn't be 1600 in another two months right and a lot of these people for example uh that you're that we're dealing with you can tell that they are talented but have not played that long and don't have you can see it in their a lot of their moves they don't have a lot of the chess culture or understanding yet so clearly they're not at their plateau when i see certain moves you know that they're doing yeah i think that's that's fair i mean i think we mostly have players who probably aren't at at their plateaus so the 50 point rule probably won't apply even still i would think if they improve more than 50 points in six weeks that would be pretty pretty darn amazing yeah um, yeah, yeah. i think because six weeks it's like it's such a short period of time i mean you know it could take you like a week to assess somebody a week to put into place a plan like then basically you work on that plan for three or four weeks like you maybe fix like one thing maybe two right it's, it's pretty it's pretty helter skelter fast you know, on the other hand, like you imagine, it, it, the 50-point rule is kind of weird because you think about Mitch, for example. If if somebody could just make the guy slow down, especially when he gets the ending, you just make him slow down. I, that's got to be worth more than 50 I know. points. Yeah, there, there, there must be something there. really impeding. That might be 200 that. points. That might be 200 points. But, you know, so that's a difficult, very difficult job as a coach. But yeah, to me, you're not at your plateau yet if you can't haven't even figured out you got to slow down in the ending. So, so people <laughs> you know? are asking, what what kind of fifty points are we talking about? Like, are we talking about OTB strength, chess.com puzzle rating? <laughs> well, good point. We've talked about this on the show now too. That that before, like we were, we would just before COVID, we would just talk about uh, usually the fee day, but sometimes the US chess rating. Uh, and now we just have this plethora of ratings. So in my head, we're we're talking about FIDE, but really we're talking about all kinds of things. Yeah. And it's all yeah. relative. I mean, it might be like, yeah, 50 OTB points translates to 100 online blitz points. But uh, I mean, it, it's going to scale the same way for everyone pretty much. Um, so it's a really interesting yeah. question. I, I think... Um, Case money alludes to a really good point. It's hard to truly measure improvement in the short term. Yeah, I remember when I was working hard intensely for like six weeks at a time, I wouldn't feel like I got better until like three months after that. That's when I felt like it like kicked in, like I started calculating better and all these things. So it'd be interesting right. to see how these players are doing uh, a couple months down the road. Like if 
if as we're expecting to them to like they work really hard they're like studying every day they're doing several hours of like calculation training a week like really hardcore um i think in the short term yeah we're not going to see more than like i would bet 50 to 100 points at most in their actual like rating gain but like as far as how much they can improve in terms of strength uh, I would, I'm with Jesse. I thought I was going to be the anything's possible guy. And Jesse's going to yeah. be like, oh, 50 points max. <laughs> um, definitely if, if someone is, and actually I don't, I think everyone in, in the field uh, is capable of improving. It, it might be harder or easier depending on like their age and, and everything. But uh, yeah. I, I don't, I didn't see anyone being at, at their uh, plateau necessarily. Um, right. It's just that they're going to have to work really hard to to break through like if you've been lifting 50 pounds you know for 10 years and all of a sudden you're trying to lift more like you're going to have to work very very hard to uh to progress right yeah and again like on what you're saying Kostya, like when you were working on chess were you maybe like trying to acquire new knowledge or like improve some like skills of yours the um Specific times I remember like working really hard. I was working on my calculation. So I would set up some Dvoretsky problems, spend like 20 minutes without moving the pieces, just like calculate really hard. I would look at the solution and then I would try to uh, visualize the solution over the board. So one problem could take like usually probably about 30 minutes. Yep. Uh, and then like, yeah, three, four weeks of doing that. And then a couple months later, I felt like, oh, yeah, I'm calculating much, much better. I'm visualizing better. I saw I saw a huge improvement. So I think that if you try to improve like your skills or your knowledge of the game, that does take several months to sort of like absorb and like percolate and become like available and usable to the person, right? It's like, even if you calculate better now, you have to like know when to deploy that calculation in your games, right? And you have to like, like relearn how to manage your time in whatever time control you're playing with this new skill that you have, right? So like, it takes a while, I think, for anything like that to show in your strength. I think the only, I think the more fertile area to perhaps achieve some really fast improvement would be like breaking some bad habits. Like for example, if like I stopped avoiding draws when I had a worse position, right? And which I then go on to lose like every time, right? Um, if somebody could get me to stop doing that, that's something which you know, could perhaps like be implemented within just two to three weeks. And, you know, if, if I'm capable of listening to some piece of advice like that, um, that's something that could happen very quickly, I think. So I would say breaking back bad habits has more of a potential to have a quick impact mm -hmm. than gaining new skills. Well, right. And, and that's why, as yesterday's show, the key would be really identifying people, especially on your second pick, where you feel like uh, there's some critical thing you can do with them or on the first pick, too. Yeah. And for me as a coach, only Mitch stood out was like, oh, got it. I could if if you could reach his soul, you do have to reach his soul. But I know what the weakness is, you know. And that's a little bit, too, because me and Kosi have gone, we have inside knowledge because we have uh, spent a lot of time doing Sunday night fights looking at that guy's games and he mitches it consistently. So we know what the problem is. And we've also yeah. seen his strengths, you know, at the same time. 
Yeah, by the way, I would love to do a season of Ultimate Sensei with just all of the adult improvers on Twitter. Like, you have yeah. Mitch and Vishnu and Neil Bruce yeah, and yeah, uh, yeah. Say Chess and everyone. <laughs> I think that would be one of the best seasons of all time, easily, hands down. <laughs> I'm going through the players to tell you how many of them I found, like, one big glaring weakness for, since you guys okay. said you only notice it for one. Um... Seven out of eight. Seven out of eight, huh? Yeah, what I made profiles of all of them while we were watching. So what are some of the other weaknesses that you noticed that were glaring? I mean, I'm not going to give it for everybody. Oh, okay. Just what? Do you have an example? I gave you guys one example. Uh, okay. Jesse you February's can, openings. You can mention weaknesses without mentioning um, who, for example. Okay, okay yeah. There's somebody who plays too fast. <laughs> There's somebody who's really bad at coordinating their minor pieces in end games. There's another person who plays too fast. Yeah, yeah. Do I coordinate there's, my minor piece? I don't even know. There's somebody. <laughs> there's somebody who plays too slowly. There's somebody who's overconfident and goes for like attempted winning moves when their position doesn't yet warrant it oh. there yeah. i gave you some examples no those are good examples hopefully, and i think hopefully mitch didn't figure out who everybody was <laughs> <laughs> and you know something we've talked about on other shows that really is i think a subtext of the whole ultimate sensei and this question is uh is there a proven way or yeah is there a way to prove that your method a coach's method can make progress is it somehow measurable now obviously in this particular thing we might get an inkling of a method but we're not going to actually get a method especially for six weeks that we can measure we just our our sample pool isn't big enough you know yeah. but it's it's still to me interesting i've been coaching for i don't know 30 plus years now and i of course as every coach have a way of coaching and i believe in it but i am more and more aware that there's no proven method and that in a lot of ways i'm just spouting and a lot of people ask me like well how do i improve and i have a i have some spiels that i can give you know but especially since no one actually follows my advice <laughs> it's not really something i can prove <laughs> since no student has ever done what you told them to well, basically, you can't measure it it's very true we have had very few students even try to follow what yeah. i what i espouse yeah well, I'm going to have to coach completely differently than normally as well, because normally I coach for like extremely long-term improvement. Right. right. And uh, that's going to be, I mean, all the things I know, a lot of the things I normally do would be basically pointless as far as trying to win this show, which uh, surprise, surprise is my goal. So, uh, <laughs> so I'm going to have to come up with a whole different thing. Like, you know, some kind of like speed improvement, you know, beat on your weaknesses with a hammer boot camp kind of thing. Uh, I'll we'll tell see. you guys what uh, GM Alexienko said because they, they asked me about Ultimate Sensei and uh, mm -hmm. he I just explained to them what the show was and his initial reaction uh, was um, that uh, yeah th especially at like this kind of rating range eighteen hundred or I think we were I think we were talking about what you would do with like a fourteen or a sixteen hundred um, mm -hmm. he was saying like he would prep some really dubious openings but like really deeply. 
and just yeah. play for for tricks because it's just such a short time frame um in terms of just like winning the the competition uh-huh okay that's interesting like when you think uh, well we should move on to the next one but really quickly do you have already in your mind like a really tricky opening that would suit that bill I think there's uh, tons of openings. I mean, I I don't want to give away what openings I'm going to tell my students in, in the future, uh -huh. but I think <laughs> I, I think there's lots of openings that are easier for one side than the other at lower levels. Kostya wants to win season two. Okay, okay. <laughs> yeah, All right, well, let's move on to the next one. That was let's good. Uh, yeah, this good. question will help answer whether Kostya I will ever win Ultimates, I'd say. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, I assume somebody like reached out and like made a claim about GM coaches being better or something like that. Or how did this, this question is obviously interesting, but I assume there's a background to it. I feel like actually, I think I came up with this one. I think it just gets asked from time to time. Uh -huh. And uh, it sounds like a somewhat incendiary question. So I thought we'd, we'd throw it in there. <laughs> <laughs> it's an incendiary question yeah, yeah. Uh, well yeah here we go are GM coaches better than IM coaches and I guess the context of this is Ultimate Sensei where they're, we're working with um, 1800 uh, rated uh, players uh, so obviously they're, whether you're an IM or a GM you're going to be much higher rated than the player and you can coach them but the question is do GMs have uh, some kind of extra coaching power or is that just depend is coaching just a completely separate skill to uh to playing chess mm. i think okay here's here's a, a maybe an intelligent thing to say about it there is a placebo effect when you're with somebody who you think is amazing and you have given a certain amount of your trust to so for example that doesn't necessarily have to be a GM to whom you give your trust. Dvoretsky was not a GM and people loved that guy and came to him and were like, please, you know, show me something. But that was only after he had developed this incredible reputation. So it was the reputation that they were giving their trust to, you know, and I think there is a certain uh, thing about that where you have, say, guys like Agard, who's around my level teaching uh, super GMs, you know, but in order for the super GMs to give their trust to somebody who's beneath them in terms of playing skill, there has to be some kind of aura of like, oh, this guy knows something and I can get something from this guy. And so that's the only intelligent thing I have to say about the GMs better than I am because GM is just another word that people imbue with meaning. And especially for teachers, you know, and students, the student needs to feel some kind of respect or awe or something to just believe what the coach is going to tell them. Because a good coaching relationship, I think, is one where the student actually does most of what the teacher says. And that's a hard thing to do. That's a really good point. Yeah, uh, GM is just the word that we attach meaning to, and it comes with some like some authority. Right. Um, so, yeah, I guess. Well, one thing I think is important to say is like I don't think the the show is really going to prove anything just because the sample size is so small and the students. Right. I mean, yeah, I think I feel like the most of the results are probably 
not like I don't want to say decided, but like they're mostly decided by the students' uh, strength coming into it. You know, some players are clearly better than others, and they're going to be favorites. Um, and uh, the other players might make a little bit of, of progress, and that'll depend on the coaching. But like, if both IM coaches finish on top of GM coaches, I don't think it's going to prove anything one way or the other. Um, but the fact that there are like these like super IM coaches like Divaretsky out there that have worked with you know all of these strong players and developed talent, I mean, I think that kind of shows that like, yeah, an IM coach can be just as good as a as a GM coach. Um, but uh, well, as you go up in level, I mean eventually you do kind of want to work with someone like if your goal is to get to gm for example i think you want to work with someone that has made it and knows what it's like um, or they have to have worked with a lot of gms in the past and they know what that's like so that's i think i think is very very important that they've actually been there yeah i think another thing uh, about it that you could even make an argument that the ims are better if you wanted to is just if you look at the current landscape of media chess media out there some of the the most influential people out there are ims and below like you can think of this guy levy roseman you can think of john bartholomew uh you can think of greg shahada right loads of people who are ims and and then lower you got loads of people producing interesting content on youtube and whatever that are much lower than i am as well and i think there's a kind of uh, accessibility that people find in those people that they don't find in a lot of the GMs. All right. <clears throat> the truth of this question <laughs> is that the answer has to be yes. GM coaches are better than IM coaches, unless you can say that the IMs have a better likelihood than GMs of being good coaches. But of course, being a strong player doesn't make you a good coach. But if you assume that GMs and IMs have the same likelihood of being good at teaching, then of course the skill of the GM can only make them a better teacher. That makes sense. I mean, the the counter was that uh, someone else posted in the chat is that if a GM, uh, players who become G grandmasters are more likely to have like innate chess talent. And that means that they probably had to learn less on their own. So I think they would kind of be worse at working with someone who's like an adult improver and didn't learn everything when they're a kid. Because uh, for me, like I was... 22 i hit master i think when i was 17 or 18. uh so i was i was already kind of adulting like as i was progressing from 2200 to, to 24. so i definitely feel like i kind of understand the grind a little bit better than someone who had gm uh before they were 18. Mm -hmm. that was a good millennial use of the word adulting <laughs> thank you <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you would have to say that there's like, that GMs are more likely to have not had to work to get there or something, or to have forgotten the work that it took or something like that. But I think in general, like, it's, it's very unlikely that there's a strong correlation like that. The strong correlation that we know for sure is that GMs are better at chess. For sure. And like understand chess better. So all else being equal, I would want like a GM coach for sure. And I don't think that anything else is going to be a bigger effect than that, than that correlation there. So I know that there will be some GMs who are bad teachers. You know, I had a, I had a Nobel prize winner who was just an absolutely terrible econ uh, professor. Um, 
And, uh, you know, I, I, I understand that there could be some really strong GMs who are not good teachers, but I would think that those um, GMs who are good teachers would be better than IMs who are good teachers. I think one thing that resonated with me is what Kosia said about adulting whilst you are improving. And I think there are, like, if you talk to the G, the kids who make GM when they're like 12 or 13, they can explain what they're doing. It takes words to, to do that, you know? And I think, right, Kosi and I both improved later in life. And in order to do that, you have to um, be able to express what is going on in the board to yourself. And generally when you're doing it too, you're also on a mission where in order to support your chess lifestyle, you have to teach a lot, right? <laughs> By teaching a lot, you know, you kind of get in the, the groove of talking about the game and having concept, concepts and metaphors to explain what's going on, you know? Yeah. So I think that's actually maybe one of the key distinctions. We could even do that as another question someday, you know, it, are coaches better who adulted who are adulting when they achieve their titles. <laughs> I think that's a much more plausible, uh, you know, correlation to, to suggest because your comment about GMs who made GM at 12 or 13 and maybe don't know how they did it. It's just natural to them. I mean, right. there are probably IMs who got really good at 12 or 13 and also can't explain Absolutely. how they got good and they didn't go on right. to become GMs. So I, I don't think it would be like, it's only they're only GM child prodigies, right? There are probably a lot of like IM child prodigies. I know an FM child prodigy, so. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's why I often struggle with like under 1400 players in terms of coaching, because I feel like I don't remember a time before I was 1400. I feel like as soon as I started mm -hmm. playing chess, I have some vague memories, okay, where I would like hang pieces all the time and like get checkmated in the opening. And then once I kind of learned how to not do that, I was like, okay, around 14, 1500 and it was pretty funny at that level every game i remember it was just like we would play some normal opening someone would blunder a pawn and then that player would lose and that was all the games <laughs> it's just always like that um but yeah below that level it's like very hazy for me how like how you actually learn uh some of those really like fundamental things like just i don't know seeing connections between pieces and um yeah it's hard to even describe what, what i'm missing I remember spending a whole day getting scholars mated by some kid. And I would just be like, again, and then he would scholars mate me again, and then he would scholars mate me. Um, so I, I remember some stuff pre fourteen hundred. And you'd be like, why am I so bad at this game? <laughs> yeah. I think too. Yeah, just uh, there's a lot about, you know, part of it is it's just a weird thing. Like the more experience I have as a coach, is the more I realize how hard it is. I think. As a player, sometimes you look at somebody, and I think a lot of one of the reasons our last debate incited such a fire on Twitter and such was that people were upset when when I was kind of saying, "No, you're not going to easily move to master." And for example, these people here we're dealing with the eighteen to two thousand. Just as my experience as a coach, you know, the the trying to get someone from eighteen to two thousand. That's hard. Oh, man, I want to say that's one of the hardest things I've done. And I've done it a lot. I've done it a lot. And I failed a lot in terms of, you know, I've had people around the 1800 range trying to make 2000. And 
uh, I've worked with a lot of people and it's not a hundred percent success rate. And so then it turned into this thing where people were saying like, Oh, Jesse says there's like some genetic thing. And I, you know, the genetic thing is this whole other interesting question, but what I'm trying to say just from experience, you know, it's like, Oh no, <laughs> this is really very difficult, very difficult. And that part of it is adulting as a, an improving player too that experience isn't that i mean the biggest thing holding people back just the fact that they don't have they just don't have time or energy you know two hours a day of like serious chess work i mean if if jesse's told you that in his experience a very small percentage of his students actually do what he tells them to do in the lessons then there's obviously other obstacles as well like you can set somebody up with a gm coach and the gm coach tells them i think that you should like analyze your game instead of reading this opening book and then the guy comes back to his lesson next week and you're like, did you analyze your game? He's like, no, but I read another like 50 pages in this like stupid book about like win with one E4. <laughs> and like, you can see that there's lots of obstacles. Right, but I wanna stress when I tell people look at their games, it's not the obstacle of time that prevents them from doing it. It's just a very difficult thing yeah. to, to do. You know, psychologically, it's like, oh my God. And it's for me as well, even, even though I've done it a lot for me to just start again, it's gonna, you know, it's a really hard thing. But okay, we should move on, Kostya. Yeah, let's do it. All right. Uh, impressions from the St. Louis Rapid and Blitz. I guess we can go pretty much anywhere with this. Um, or if uh, people in the chat have specific things they want to ask us about, feel free to, to post some questions. Uh, time starts. All right, I want to start with the story. I want to start with the story here. So uh, this is my, I don't, I don't uh, have much in my life to be proud of. I don't have much to crow about, but I got to tell you guys the story. So in April, I did this video about, it's called an easy system to make French players squirm. I did that on our YouTube channel. And, um, you know, it was a very simple system. All my openings that I put up there are simple, mostly because I have a hard time remembering anything because I'm so old and it's hard for me to, to do things. This would actually be an example of a tricky opening to learn very quickly. Um, and I had come up with it mostly out of psychological reasons, like thinking about uh, what systems as a, you know, got under my skin as a French player. And therefore, when I did this, the first thing that I got that was hilarious was French players were accusing me of treason. <laughs> so anyways, uh, time passes and some players on the dojo had played it out and they had a, this sample game that I did the first illustrated game of the uh, system on. They played really well. And then, like, we're talking maybe like less about a week ago, let's say. Anish Giri's doing his um, thing on, he's doing like a show, a, a stream show on the French and people are writing in questions. So uh, somebody writes in a question about, hey, have you seen Cry's video on the system? And then they describe it to dude, because dude of course hadn't been watching the channel, <laughs> but they describe the system and Anish Giri is like, oh, that's kind of interesting. And Gustafsson's like, oh, that's kind of interesting. Giri then tells, Magnus, and then Magnus plays in the St. Louis and Blitz and crushes Hare Krishna with my system, my friends, my system. So that's my big takeaway from the St. <laughs> Louis Rapid and Blitz, that my, the, something from my mind 
my mind got played through Magnus's mouse. No, that's uh, that's amazing. Wait, but how did you confirm that Geary told Magnus about the idea? Well, so first of all, I have to give credit to I didn't I hadn't I wasn't watching you know when Anish Geary did his uh, show, and there was a guy on YouTube who did the comment you know on, on the video. I think his his YouTube name he was Keat. K-E-E-D-T. So he gets the credit for like <laughs> archaeologically <laughs> finding first this point. And then various people confirmed to me, right, that Geary and uh, Magnus were, you know, share opening ideas. And then it was literally like, I think, one or two days later that it then right. got played. Up. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's amazing. Yeah, it's a cool um, story. That's how I felt when... Grischuk mentioned on the uh, Chess24 stream that he really liked this meme I made about Kramnik. I was like, wow. <laughs> <laughs> what was it? Tell, tell us the meme. I don't know. Sure uh, well, you guys remember um, there is this old Anish Giri meme because obviously he, he was, uh, you know, the right. big, the Drajsh guy. Um, I love oh, that meme. That was I know your meme, meme Coast. Yeah, I know your meme. Yeah, so the, the meme is where there's like a made in one position with the king and queen. And then Anish Giri, uh, he suggests a stalemate. <laughs> like, Karwan right, is right. there, he gets made. Naka's there, he's just, yeah. just made. And then, then the, I added to it. So the original meme, I don't know who did it. I think it was one of the chess bras, or he came out of the chess bra camp. But then I added to it uh, a panel with Kramnik, where he goes into this long spiel about how, like, any move wins. And then the moves he suggests, like, they all, like, fail. They don't actually mate the king. And, yeah. It's just... He's like, I could do this, I could do this, even here, <laughs> even this should win. <laughs> <laughs> it's a miracle black can survive, right? King and queen versus king. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, somehow that got around to Grischuk, and I felt very proud. <laughs> nice. Yeah, that was a good one. That was a good one, Ghost. Yeah, I mean, the original one was good, too. I mean, full yeah. full credit to everybody involved in that. That was an excellent one. Yeah. One of my favorite ever. I do want to be, a, I'm going to be a downer. Let me be a downer for a second. I am, uh, as a chess fan, and th this relates even to, this is even criticism of the dojo, not just of the St. Louis Rapid Blitz, but to me, the games that are played quickly, uh, they don't give me spiritual satisfaction. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. So like even yesterday, it was cool to watch and hang out with you guys and watch these, you know, these 18, 1900 players do their thing but whether it was like them or super gms playing super fast chess and blundering it doesn't really do it for me you know sometimes i have to admit when i'm kind of tired at night i like watching magnus carlson youtube videos of him playing blitz because sometimes the blitz moves he plays are just like oh man <laughs> this kid's got it all he could play just beautiful blitz chess but in general i gotta just say i i, I pull back from it it's something i pull back from as a fan yeah, I can see that. It is a bit upsetting when a really nice game is ruined by like someone just hanging a piece, um, particularly at higher levels. I would say, at lower levels you just kind of grow to expect it, but at higher levels it's like it's a real it's a real shame. Um, well, I guess you know for the purposes of the show, obviously we wanted to keep it very fan uh, friendly. Uh, I bet people would watch a version where it is focused on classical chess. Uh, it would just kind of have to be a different a different format, I would think. Um, but it is possible. I'm so happy that Neil Bruce 
find find some common ground with me because I feel like he's on me all the time, man. <laughs> I say something, he's on me, and now finally I have something in common. I can bond with this guy. Neil Bruce keeps us honest. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, it's not our topic, so I'm not going to agree with you too heavily, Jesse. Um, even though I would agree with you, it's kind of sad that online chess has meant like no classical events. Like, hmm. I think I mentioned a couple weeks ago that I saw like an announcement that they were having the U.S. Chess Championships. And I saw, you know, this like announcement and they're doing the juniors and the women's and the girls and the everything. And like, I was like, awesome, great. What an exciting tournament. And I'm like, wait a minute. Why is it three days long? And I just looked and I was just deflated, you know, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't need any more of that. I've already seen like, you know, 15 minute quality chess before. Anyway, um, but um, I'm going to give a few impressions from this tournament. Number one, I was surprised that Nakamura um, couldn't get, you know, first or second place in, uh, in, the, in the Blitz and, and Rapid in the end. Um, after playing so well in the Fisher Random, I thought uh, that he would continue to do well in the uh, Blitz and Rapid. I really thought he was on great form. So it was a little surprising to me to see the great performance of Wesley So. In that event, uh, he really did surprisingly well. I was happy to see Jeffrey Shang's result because I think it continues. I know it's just 15 minute chess, but it continues to confirm to me that he's been improving all year. And we don't, it's hard to track this stuff when nobody's playing any real tournaments. But my impression is that Jeffrey, you know, who hit 2,700 for the first time, like in January at Wake on Zay or something like that, mm -hmm. I don't know, right, around that right. time, um, he's continued to improve. It's not like he touched 2,700 and then, you know, he'll get to like remember that for the rest of his life. I think he's gotten better and better. And um, honestly, I think like it being Rapid and Bliss makes it harder for him because these other guys have been playing in these Rapid and Blitz tournaments for a while already. And when Sam first started playing in these, you know, I talked with him about it. And basically, when you're in the elite echelon, you get invited to these high level Rapid and Blitz events. But, you know, 2,500 to 26. 90 gms don't really play much like blitz or rapid normally like it's not really like a thing they do mm -hmm. there's not like a huge like market for them to be doing it and so they rather like play actual chess like like jesse um so sam it was a huge adjustment at first and you've got to imagine the same thing for jeffrey he doesn't have a ton of experience playing this kind of an event so for him to finish you know, basically on par with Hare Krishna, a couple points ahead of Dominguez and Ferruja, a couple points behind Nepo and Grishuk and Aronion. Like, I think that was like fantastic. I think he's like continuingly to like, continuing to like grind his way um, to a better and better chess level, you know? And I think he might be like, you know, 2720 or 2730 strength by now, which to me, I, I, I mean, this is like an insane progress to go from like 2705 to 27. 20 or 30 in a year is extremely good. So that was a big uh, thing that I noticed at that tournament because I, I don't think the rapid or blitz helps him at all. I think if anything, it hurts him. And, and he mm -hmm. just, he hung there with these like amazing players for three days. Yeah. Okay. No, I like that story. And I want to just say, Jeffrey, uh, we were talking about identifying chess talent earlier. You know, I've covered done commentary in St. Louis, several tournaments, uh, that Jeffrey played in and you know Jeffrey was there and it was like 2680 and it's you know he he struggled for a long time to break 2700 
you know, for a long time. And it's rough, man, because, you know, if you don't make 2,700, you're not playing with the cool people. (laughs) You're not one of the cool kids if you're not 2,700. And he worked really hard at it, man. And I really admire his, he really has a love of the game. You know, he'll, if you go there to St. Louis and you can hang out with him and he'll study the game with a fish like me and talk to me about it and, and other people too, you know, and he's just honestly interested in, you know, talking about the position, which, you know, it takes a lot of energy to have that kind of love that can kind of just pour out of you and have, let's call it superfluous love for the game because you're exhausted after a game and you want to go home and sit in the bath or something, you know, (laughs) and this kid has it. So uh, yeah, it's very impressive. And, you know, he didn't have the same meteoric rise as a lot of the other people that we, you know, we, we know about. And so, right. It's like really interesting to imagine that maybe, I mean, for him now to dream about making it say from 2,700 where he is now, maybe he's 2,709 or something to be, you know, to go from that to 2,780, that's still, that's still a huge jump, you know, but I, I think he's already proven me a little bit wrong by just making it where he is now. Well, Okay. Well, I have many nice things to say about Jeffrey Zhang, but time is up. And yeah. we got to go on to our next and final topic, uh, the PCL season review. So the Pro Chess League actually just finished earlier today. It was supposed to originally finish, I think, back in like May or June. They were going to have a live event in, in Europe, I think. And that had to obviously right. get uh, get canceled or postponed. Uh, unfortunately, like, it's kind of funny that they... I thought it was so amazing when the Pro Chess League, oh, I need to start the timer, um, my bad, uh, when they announced that they were going to do a live final for the first time uh, a few years ago. I thought that was amazing, and that was a, that was a brilliant uh, show. So it's kind of sad to see them have to go back to an online final. Right. But if there's anything that should be able to reschedule easily online, it would be an online chess league. You'd think, yeah, it would have it would have not been too hard. Before we get deep into the PCL, let me ask you guys a question. So uh, in terms of coming back to real chess, which is the subtext of this PCL being now online and not uh, real or alive. Um, so when we started Dojo and it was like in the heart of COVID times, I asked Kosi, I was like, you going to play in National Open? And then uh, he said, yes. And then, of course, it just turned into madness. And then he said, no. And what I'm confused about is it seemed like it was still going ahead, but it seems like not to have happened because I didn't hear anybody say anything about it. Yeah, it got canceled. So at the very last second, that thing got canceled. Yeah, it got canceled because um, they they ruled that you they, they, they just got hit with like bureaucratic stuff. They just said like you can do poker and gambling, but you can't do chess. That's basically what they said. Huh. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Um. And it's interesting, too, because in other there are like actually there just was a a smaller tournament in Vegas that was played. I saw some pictures of that. So there are over the board tournaments that are happening in the U.S. Loads are happening in Europe. It's very impressive. And perhaps it's wrong. (laughs) Perhaps it's just wrong, but they are doing it in Europe. Yeah, candidates will be coming back, uh, I think, November, early November. 
And I'm I I'm wondering about that candidates, you know, like I okay, I don't want to get back to the PCL, but I'm wondering about the candidates. I I think for us at Dojo, I think that is something I want to pour my heart into when that thing starts and you know, do some good recaps and all kinds of other stuff, but I don't know, man. Just like getting somebody like Fabi into Russia and then getting him back. There's a huge challenge right there. We got to protect our Fabi. <laughs> yeah. Well, just bureaucratically, like, uh, for example, I have a, a, a friend here in the States who was in uh, France before, and he can't go back. Huh. He can't go back, man. So it's like there's all kinds of bureaucratic stuff preventing people from moving around. And Russia has its own COVID crisis as well. Yeah. So PCL? It, PCL. Sorry about that. Sorry about my dent. Yeah, congrats to Armenia, uh, who who won. I think scored a huge upset, right, against St. Louis. Yeah. Um, how does how does Armenia win or just overperform in all of these team events? I mean, this goes back to like the Olympiads and like, how do, and then they won the, the they won the PCL before, right? Uh, yeah. As the underdogs, didn't they? 2018. Didn't they also beat St. Louis then, or was it China? They beat China. They beat in the China. They were also like way outrated. Right. Yeah, how are they doing this, David? Yeah, and as Hortbeck says, Jeffrey Shong was board four for St. Louis, and he is wow. significantly higher rated than Armenia's board one. Like, clearly, clearly. And he's like 200 points higher rated than their board four. Um, I thought before the match was played that my takeaway from the season was going to be like, we need some more parity. You know, St. Louis won the finals by like, you know, 10 to 6 and they won their like other playoff match by, like 11 to 5 against China and like it's just it's, like there's only like you know one or two teams that can even score a point against them um but somehow Armenia won how did Armenia win I I don't know it makes no sense I'm a fan of theirs I root for them I don't know how they do it um with different rules across different seasons and different players it's not like they've got the same like two guys who are just better at online blitz and they play like every year um this team that played this time had three players different than the team that was in the final four last year. They only had Hike Martirosi on the same. Um, so I, I, I don't know. I mean, our talk somehow like scouts people like this. They've got a good team spirit. They try hard, but like at some point, I mean, like I'm a guy with like a good team spirit and I try hard at everything, but like I couldn't play against St. Louis. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I, it's something to do with the team spirit. I mean, it, maybe it's not fair to lump them in with, like, yeah, the Olympia team and everything, because, uh, I mean, it's, like, much longer tournament and classical chess and stuff. But, um, yeah, something about them. They just have this, like, magic, magic energy. Well, David, give me an update on the parody, because, so, of course, PCL grew out of Greg Shahada's U.S. Chess League. Right. And back in the day, there was, like, communist rules to keep parity, right? Like you had to have an average rating of the team. Yeah. And yeah. so how did that evolve to what we're seeing now with St. Louis? So even one year ago, they still had a rating cap on teams. Instead of like, a lot of sports use a salary cap. And so I think that's right. where Greg got the idea uh -huh. um, where you can only pay a certain amount for your players. So that would also be a way to like hit St. Louis because they have the biggest salary of any team by far, I imagine. Right. Um, but uh, the professional chess league used a, um, a rating cap and it was 2,500 feet at last year, which was still like 
And you can't use like a 1000 on board for to count as like 1000. Your lowest rated player will count at least as 2000. Uh-huh. So there's a limit to how far you could stack it. Um, but you could play like 20, you know, two 2700s and, uh, you know, a 2600 and then a 2000. It would be kind of like the maximum. This year's the first year that they got rid of that. And with getting rid of that, like the parity just disappeared. There wasn't exactly parity in the past. St. Louis still had advantages. For example, players over 2,700 count as 2,700. So they could play like, you know, players rated 2,790 and they would count as 2,700. So they could gain a little bit there. But they really had to be clever as well. Like they had to scout for like, you know, last year they had a guy who was like 2,300 USCF, but 1,800 FIDE to play their board for. So they, they were clever and they were working and they were scouting and they had advantages and they were the best team and they won the Pro Chess League last year as well. But like it was relatively a little bit closer than this year. Like this year they beat the Pandas 11 to 5. You know, a powerhouse team with, you know, Wei Yi as board three or four. I mean, like a really mm-hmm. good team, you know. Um, but, uh, but now it's really like sort of like out of control to me. Uh, both the lack of parity, I think that matches that finish um, before the fourth round are less exciting than matches that finish in the fourth round. Um, so when the so when the St. Louis team can get past eight points in round three, then round four is not that interesting. Um, and also, I actually think that before, having a mix of players was more interesting than having just 2,700s. I mean, you guys know I'm a fan of Jeffrey Xiong, but to me, it's more interesting if there's some player on St. Louis's team that I don't know, like some some new kid or some some woman from Germany or something like different. Right. Um, and now it's just like, well, they hired the U.S. Olympiad team and the Pandas hire the Chinese Olympiad team. And yeah. And then it's like, well, I mean, we already see those people play. Um, so they lost all the female players, all the junior players, almost except Armenia, which played Raunak Sedwani. I don't know how, but it worked. Well, what do you guys um, think about the format that they used for the online Olympiad where you get your like four best players, like whoever you want to put in, and then there's like a junior board and a women's board, so you get some more like wildcard boards. Because the thing I don't like about having um, any kind of like parity is that, you know, ultimately, well, if we're, we're going to treat chess as a sport, and I think that is kind of the idea with the Pro Chess League, it's like you want the best players in the sport. You don't want to just assign handicaps to teams just to make it fair for other teams. We want to elevate everyone until everyone's a competitor rather than um, putting uh, weights and handicaps on on teams. Um, But maybe one way to kind of keep a balance is to just have a separate board where like, okay, you put your best junior there or you put your best female player. And then that kind of, well, that definitely gives, I think, more interest for the fans because I'm with you. I do like seeing up and coming players. Yeah, but but Kostya, I mean, most sports do have some kind of, cap of some kind implemented yeah my feeling on that is like let's let money for players become a problem that we need a salary cap and then we can do a salary cap but let's get to that level where like we actually have an issue with like chess players getting paid uh too much right (laughs) right 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 i think as a fam i think one of the most interesting questions that gets floated out there is what's the strongest chess city Right now, I feel it's St. Louis. But honestly, if you go to Eastern Europe, they still believe that Moscow or Lvov or whatever is the strongest city. Lvov, Lvov. (laughs) Yeah. And so, like, yeah, I want to – I think 
one of the things that dilutes it is when you have players playing from different places or players who aren't from a place, aren't living in a place. So, I mean, you know, if I, if I could give one, if I could do one thing as a fan, it would be everyone being from the same city, not just, you know, Armenia, something like that. And Armenia didn't, wasn't all Armenians this, this last one either. Right. No, they had Parnum and, yeah. Right. They had Parnum and Ronak. So they were only 50% Armenians this year. In the past, Armenia was one of the teams that had really not used free agents. They had really been <clears throat> like a pure Armenian team. Uh, in the past compared to a lot of other teams which could already use one free agent but now there are new rules that like if a free agent plays for your team for a certain number of games they become no longer a free agent uh -huh. so the chess bras now have grishuk playing as a local player because he's played for them before and they've yeah got come on Geary, no and they've got ivan saric um playing for them as a local player because he's played for them for a couple for a while so actually the chess bras team that came to the final four had zero chess bras on it and zero Canadians, zero, right? Zero. It was 100% non chess bra Europeans. I'm definitely okay with going with the, uh, the local approach. I think that that does make it fun for the, the fans. Um, or at least the region, like I think California should be a team basically. Or Northern California. Yeah. Or Bay area or San Francisco. Yeah, it yeah it's like 20 more. miles. If you did 20 <laughs> miles, then you would be like San Francisco could have Berkeley and the South Bay. You know, you got it all. Oh. Yeah. That would be a team. That would be a good team. Yeah. That would be a good team. But still St. Louis wins. <laughs> yeah, I mean, St. Louis and <laughs> Moscow would still, it would be not remotely competitive. So, I mean, I think one of the ideas with allowing free agents at all was that it would allow a city to hire you know somebody good if they didn't have you know four top gms in their area but i gotta say like let's say something like the english premier league there's really only two or three teams at the beginning that have a remote chance and there's usually a clear favorite at the beginning of the season that is a really? fantastic league though man people love that and like bragging rights oh man it's a huge deal so top city top chess city in the world oh that's that's really interesting and then mm -hmm. uh, what i really would hope right the thing about the, what i said about the communism is because you had the parody before people weren't getting paid right it was like you know you just had like one guy and then who you know you'd pay him like 50 bucks or something like that but the whole cool thing with st louis was there was a money incentive for people to move there and then if it became a big thing of like who's the best chess city in the world well then we'd you know we'd have some incentive moneyed incentive to pay people to come live someplace but then you have to pay them enough for them to move to your city yeah that's well saying. that's what st louis did <laughs> that's what definitely st louis did yeah but there's no other city that could do that oh i don't know you might be surprised you might be surprised I mean, it's one thing to pay somebody like, you know, $500 to like play a match online. It's another thing uh -huh. to make them like move to your. We yeah. got to have some kind of like oligarch world championship where you just have like <laughs> different like billionaires or whoever they can get. Right. Just forget about the cities. Just call it, you know, Team Rex and Team Arcadi and so forth. Yeah, 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 yeah. 50 boards each. <laughs> be epic it'd be absolutely epic <laughs> well you guys uh i want to give a pitch me and kostya pretty soon here we're gonna jump off and we're gonna do sunday night at the fights 
Yeah. And uh, several people, I think, from the Ultimate Sensei will be hopefully playing. We'll see who we got in just a little bit. Uh, but, yeah, let's do final thoughts and let's move on to Sunday Night at the Fight. Well, I think they need to bring back some, some cap so that we get to see some different players. I think you'll still have all the good players like you did last year, but you can also see some different like strategy and some juniors and some women. It's, it's fun to see. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well. Um, hey. Thanks I mean, I everyone hear, who tuned yeah. in. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, David. Yeah. No, I was sorry. gonna say I, I hear the alternate opinions. I'm not dismissing what you guys said is dumb this time. Um, <laughs> it's time. But but I but I'm but I, I so like I hear it. You guys are making totally reasonable opinions about it. Um, that's just I'm I am still sticking with my preference. Like, just as a fan, which I am a super fan of the Pro Chess League, I enjoyed it much more last year than this year. So. That's fair. It's just, just one fan's experience. Cool. All right. Okay, guys. Um, well, Jesse and I will be back in a couple minutes with uh, Sunday Night Fights. I'm actually, I'm just going to keep the uh, the stream going, and then we'll cut it later for, uh, for YouTube. Um, so we will see you guys uh, in a few.